Welcome to another episode of the Big Ten Roundtable on Sports Illustrated Fan Nation. Join us every week as we tour the Big Ten Conference and have conversations with Fan Nation publishers and national college reporters. The topics naturally in CAA college football and the hottest topics in the Big Ten Conference. This is your announcer, Chuck Crabb, and let's join the show. Here's your host, Sports Illustrated Fan Nation publisher and Big Ten Roundtable host, Tom Brew. Hello, everyone. Tom Brew with the Big Ten Roundtable. Happy to have you part of our episode six here. Now we break down everything that went on in week five, a whole lot going on. We got a lot of great special guests today as well, too including Brendan Gulick from BuckeyesNow.com and Brandon Brown from Wolverine Digest. Break down the big wins by Ohio State and Michigan. we got a bunch of other stuff going on as well, too. Uh, the biggest news is probably off the field on Sunday after uh, Wisconsin lost at home to Illinois. Uh, Brett Bielema's big return to Madison with a huge win for the Fighting Illini where the, uh, the Wisconsin Badgers decided to move on from Paul Crist and, and fire the uh, the long-time successful coach there, 67-26, and 26, a huge winning record in the Big Ten, Big Ten West titles, but felt like it was time to move on. And Jim Leonard, defensive coordinator that everybody uh, loves a lot, is the interim coach, but uh, probably going to wind up being the main guy there too. So we got that. We've got uh, some big stuff too. Uh, Purdue went up to Minnesota, had a huge win there. And uh, uh, so there's a lot of Big Ten games to talk about and a lot going on around the league, and we'll break it all down for you today. But the first thing we're going to do is, uh, uh, after a word from our sponsors, is we'll break down uh, uh, the Ohio State 49-10 win over Rutgers with Brendan Gulick of, of BuckeyesNow.com. Really, uh, really huge day for the Ohio State offense and defense continuing to play well. And we will also talk to Brandon Brown about Michigan's 27-14 win over the Iowa Hawkeyes, a good road victory for the Wolverines, 5-0 and now and ranked number four in the country. Penn State's also undefeated still, beat uh, Northwestern 17-7. to uh, And as we mentioned, Illinois beat Wisconsin 34-10 to in Madison. And then another big win for the Maryland Terrapins. They're 4-1 now, beat Michigan State 27-13 to in College Park. And then Saturday night, Nebraska got its first Big Ten win of the year, beating Indiana 35-21. We'll talk about all that when we get back. But first, a word from our sponsors here on the Big Ten Roundtable. Welcome to the New Calm family. My name is Jim Poole. I'm the president and CEO of Solace Life Sciences, the neuroscience company that makes New Calm. And what is it? It's simply a technology that when you're feeling stressed or you're not sleeping well, whatever it is that life brings you, New Calm is a tool that predictably, safely, and reliably is gonna take good care of you. Find a comfortable place. Put the disc on, eye mask, choose your track. You're gonna lie down. What's gonna happen? Your mind's gonna wander. But here's how you'll know New Calm's working. You begin to feel your body separate from your mind. Your mind's gonna wander and your body's gonna feel heavy and your respiration's gonna slow down. And you're gonna go somewhere, somewhere where your mind just wanders and your body heals. And then at some point, you just kind of come to. Simply take off the eye mask, stop the track, take the disc off, and off you go. All right, everybody, welcome back to week six. Hard to believe, but uh, week six of the Big Ten Roundtable. Uh, season moving along. We get deeper into the second week in October now, and uh, I'm very, very happy to bring in our, one of our regular guests, uh, Brennan Gulick from BuckeyesNow.com, to talk about the Buckeyes, a big 49-10 win over Rutgers uh, last weekend and a big game with Michigan State this weekend. we got it all covered right here on the Roundtable. So, Brennan, how are you this morning? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It was wow. certainly a fun weekend for the Buckeyes to uh, keep this thing rolling against Rutgers last week. They got one more, uh, one more really meaningful game here before the bye, and then they can take a deep breath too. There you go. That uh, bye always comes at a good time when it's right in the middle of the season, like they've got it. So, uh, all right. So let's uh, let's break down uh, Ohio State Rutgers uh, 49-10 win. Not much of a surprise in, in the in the result, but kind of how it happened is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Mayan Williams just had a, just a record-breaking day, uh, tied uh, most touchdowns in a game, uh, scored five times, had 189 yards rushing, and uh, uh, just uh, further proof, just the, the wealth of depth and talent, uh, you know, not only in the wide receivers room that we talk about all the time, but in that running back room as well. Had a great game, and any time you can, uh, can bring up Keith Byers' name, uh, we, you know, five touchdowns in a game, it's, uh, it's a, you know, quite a performance there by Mayan Williams. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll remember Saturday for two reasons, and certainly uh, Mayan Williams is one of them. The other is his former position mate and now currently uh, a linebacker in Steel Chambers. I, I will remember this as the Mayan Williams game and as the Steel Chambers game. Um, you know, look, Mayan, Mayan has had pretty darn impressive ability for a little while, but part of what makes this Ohio State offense work as well as it does is that, you know, that they've got – as Ryan Day likes to say, a, a pair and a spare at every position. Um, they've got depth that you're looking to build and that most teams right now don't have. And so, yeah, unfortunately, Jackson Smith and Jigba doesn't play. Travion Henderson re-aggravates an injury during warmups. They thought he might be okay, but they weren't 100% sure, and they didn't want to put him out there if they weren't 100% sure because they've got a lot of football, they think, still in front of them. Um, so you, you lose your, your top wide receiver and, and your top running back option. And they still scored 49 points, uh, because Mayan Williams ran the ball, you know, like crazy. And, and yeah, he did have a 70 yard touchdown run. So that adds, you know, to the stats a little bit, but even if you take that out, you know, he still runs for 20 carries and 119 yards. Uh, That's still a pretty darn good, you know, yard per carry pop there too. So, it was it was actually nice to see Mayan Williams finally have that one big home run, you know, type play because we haven't seen him showcase breakaway speed yet. You know, the the thought process around Ohio State has been more that that's Travion Henderson who can have the the game changing run away from a defender, um, and you know, Mayan Williams is more the the tough, harder yards between the tackles and. Uh, someone who invites physicality that maybe Travion doesn't so much, but uh, man, Mayan Williams has proven to be a hell of a running back, and it's uh, it's fun for Buckeye fans to see him get that kind of an opportunity because he certainly took it and and literally ran with it on Saturday. What's the latest with Travion Henderson? Uh, do we expect him back this week? And uh, if so, can uh, any gauge as to how you feel uh, how those carries might get split up now? Yeah, we're going to talk to, as we shoot this on Tuesday morning, we're going to talk to Ryan Day here in just a couple of hours, and I'm sure that's going to be one of the very first things that is asked of him. Um, Travion was on the sideline the entire game. He didn't have his helmet, but he was in full pads. And admittedly, he was limping a little bit. I I don't know if it's his foot or his ankle that's bothering him. It was an injury that first popped up a couple of weeks ago and and actually kept him out of, uh, you know, part of one game. He came back and obviously had a really good run of things against Wisconsin, uh, and then for whatever reason reaggravated it. You know, before this uh, this weekend here against Rutgers. So the the hope is that it's not a big deal and that he's going to be okay. Um, I don't get the impression that there are too many people that are overly concerned about either what he's going through or what Jackson's going through right now. They're not season-ending injuries by every indication we've been given. Um, but the caveat here is that Ohio State never talks about injuries. And so, you know, they they could be doing a nice job as a group trying to, to get everybody to think or feel one way and, and maybe keep things close to the vest. I don't know. Um, my indication is that Travion Henderson's not going to miss very much time. So fingers crossed he'll be here. That, um, he'll, he'll be back Saturday. There you go. Uh, we've talked, Brendan, uh, right from the beginning of the season, just how important uh, this year was going to be for that Ohio State defense to sort of step up and, and play better, you know, after uh, for some shaky performances in 2021. And they continue to do that. Uh, Rutgers only 80 yards passing on Saturday, only 107 rushing, just to, uh, really just kept them in corralled the whole time. Just sort of more of the same through five weeks here that the Ohio State defense playing really well. They are. And look, I mean, if you go back maybe the last 20 to 25 years now, the the team that wins the national championship, with the exception of literally only two cases, that team has a top 25 defense in the country. They don't need to have the number one or number five or, or you know, top 10 ranked defense, but the defense has to be certainly good enough. The only two exceptions are when Cam Newton and Auburn won uh, the national title and Remarkably, Joe Burrow's LSU defense was good, but it was not elite. And I think this Ohio State defense is is taking a lot of pride in trying to be among the best in the country, Tom, but they they don't have to be because the offense is so stinking good and effective. Um, but that said, there are a lot of people that feel like this team is going to go as far as their defense can take them because the offense is, is proven that they can score on just about anybody. 
And I think the development of especially the linebacker play right now has been incredibly impressive. I, I, I realize though there's a lot of football left to be played, but right now Tommy Eichenberg is playing like the best linebacker in America. I mean, his growth from the beginning of last year to where he is right now is off the charts good. It is unbelievable the kind of player that he's turned into. Um, he's really, really fun to watch. Steel Chambers is also having a really solid season so far and absolutely had his best game uh, as a linebacker this past week, which is great to see. I thought the Ohio State defensive line is is playing well. The questions are are at corner, not even so much in the secondary because Josh Proctor at safety is playing pretty well. Ronnie Hickman is a terrific nickelback, um, and and Tanner McAllister got banged up this past weekend, but I didn't get the impression that was a, a particularly bad injury either. So fingers crossed that he'll be okay. Um, the the questions have been more at corner, and for whatever reason, you know Denzel Burke has just not played consistently well enough he's made a few good plays this year he's not playing horrible but the the few times that Ohio State has gotten themselves in a tough spot Denzel Burke hasn't been far from the uh from the play and I think for whatever reason a guy that was a freshman All-American last year is not scaring offensive coordinators this year and they're they're not just trying to avoid him they're literally going at him um that's that is the one biggest area the Buckeyes need to address going forward one of the uh, things that's been uh, surprising to me through five weeks uh, of this Big Ten season is just uh, how bad Michigan State has been. And, of course, Ohio State gets them uh, the Saturday 4 o'clock game on ABC, lots of national TV eyeballs. Uh, but Spartans are just 2-3. and three. Now, last year, you know, Mel Tucker was, you know, was being praised at, you know, the you know, greatest hire ever. And, uh, you know, other than the Ohio State game where the Buckeyes roughed them up, I mean, they were really good against everybody last year. And now this year – uh, just two and three, zero oh and two in the league. Uh, got really pushed around bad the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, and it's just it's kind of hard uh, to figure out. Now you've had a chance to kind of zero in on them a little bit and starting your prep for this week. Uh, from what you've seen so far, what the heck's going on with the Spartans? I think it's pretty simple, Tom. I think it's the Kenneth Walker effect. I mean, it's to me they they had the best running back in college football last year, and and they often let him put the rest of the team on their back. And that's not to say they didn't have other good players. I, I've never really been impressed with Peyton Thorne. I think he's fine, but I don't think he's great. Um, I think their wide receiver group is okay. I think their offensive line is okay. But last year they had an elite running back, and so they were able to literally just you know, ground and pound teams, and that was good enough to beat just about everybody on their schedule. The problem is their pass defense has been atrocious. And, you know, through their first couple Big Ten games, they've, they've played a couple of decent quarterbacks. And Talia Tungavailoa is having a good year at Maryland. And Minnesota right now looks like probably the best team in the West. Um, and, look, they, they played Michael Penix at Washington. And, and you know, you guys certainly know in, in Indiana country what Michael Penix is capable of. Um it's not going to get easier this week for them. So, I mean, look, I don't think Michigan State stinks. I just think they are kind of in a rut. I think they are what they are. They're, a, they're an average football team right now. I also think it's difficult to build through the transfer portal the way that Mel Tucker has, has tried to do. And it worked last year, and I certainly don't blame them for trying to do it again this year, but it that feels a little bit more like a gamble than trying to recruit the kids you want to recruit and, and develop from right out of high school. Um, but until he establishes a firm, consistent winner in East Lansing, he might have better luck getting better players to the transfer portal. I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of, of why they make the decisions they do, but um, I, I think Michigan State's okay. I think they've kind of fallen on hard times. They certainly didn't quit. They had a good goal line stand last weekend. Um, I just don't – I don't think they're that good. And I, I think Ohio State's going to put up a bunch of points this weekend because that pass defense is not very good. Yep, absolutely. And I think when you get uh, – and you know from watching so much Big Ten football yourself too, it's like you get that the, – the middle of the pack teams or the upper middle of the pack teams where there's not a lot of difference – 
sure. uh, between Minnesota and Michigan State. Maybe there's, you know, we kind of thought there might have been a little bit more of a gap between Michigan State and Maryland, but I've been real impressed with Maryland so far this year, even in their loss to Michigan. I thought they actually played really well, um, you know, and then now, you know, even Maryland is better than Michigan State right now. The, it's easy to kind of fall fast uh, when you're not playing well, you know, in this league, when you're playing other teams that are sort of in your ballpark, you know, comp, you know, talent wise. And I think, I think that certainly hit the case for Michigan state. I'm just, you know, obviously, you know, I do think, you know, Ohio state won't have any trouble with them all this week, but then I'm kind of curious is like, how do they fix this? Like how's, you know, how good can they be? And do they wind up being a five and seven team? that doesn't even make a bowl game. You know, I don't, you know, as it stands right now, when I look at the schedule, it's like, you know, you know, can I find six wins on their schedule for sure? And I don't know, <laughs> you know, there's, you know, they're going to have to play better just to even be a bowl team, which. But to, but to your point, I mean, there's, and again, like I'm not trying to come across as, as arrogant when I say this, I, I just, I think this is objective. There's Ohio state. I think Michigan is, is a notch below them, but they're close. And then there's everybody else. And, and there are obvious deficiencies with every other team in the league, which frankly is making it fun because, you, you never know on any given week who's going to play well. I mean, to your point, Maryland's looked really good and good for them. How fun is it for them to finally have a team that they think like, hey, we could we could make a good little run here. They gave Michigan a heck of a run. They're going to play Ohio State late in the season when, you know, if, if you're Maryland, hopefully you're really healthy and in a great rhythm and let her rip. You got nothing to lose, right? I mean, at that point, you're you're probably out of – contention for any college football playoff you know type stuff so just let it rip um maryland right now looks better than every single team in the west in my opinion and and i think we're going to chat a little bit about wisconsin like there are there are just every single team in this league you can look at and say that there is at least one glaring problem outside of ohio state and michigan and um it's fun if you are a big 10 football fan because truly it does feel like, well, let's see how Iowa can go play against, you know, Purdue this weekend. I mean, it's that'll be a great game when those two teams play. Yeah, I and mean, that's what that to me is interesting like with Michigan State. It's like they've got Ohio State this week. They've got – you're going to have a rejuvenated uh, Jim Leonard coach, Wisconsin team the week after that. After a bye week, they got Michigan. <laughs> you know, I don't see Michigan State winning any of those three games, you know, and all of a sudden they're two and six. You know, yeah. and then even, you know, Illinois, you know, you, we could say what we want to say about Illinois' flaws too, but, you know, they just keep winning. You know, yeah, they, they just you went know. to Madison and beat up on yeah. Wisconsin. So. Exactly. And got Paul Chris fired, you know. So it's, uh, well, and speaking of which, let's go there. Let's uh, uh, transition by accident there, I suppose. Um, so that's the big news of the week. Uh, the Big Ten lost its uh, second coach of the season already when, uh, uh, three weeks ago, when Scott Frost got fired at Nebraska. None of us were really surprised by that. We knew he was on a hot seat. We knew he couldn't handle uh, any bad explosions, and they lost to Georgia State at home or Georgia Southern at home, and that was the end of it. Uh, this is a little bit different, I think, with Paul Crist. I mean, sixty-seven and twenty-seven record during his time there. He's, you know, you know, he's been a Big Ten, you know, favorite lots of years. Uh, you know, been uh, then this year, you know, lost at home to Washington State, got pummeled by Ohio State, which is not that much of a surprise, but then. Lose to Illinois last week, and all of a sudden he gets fired, which uh, you know, <laughs> d- you know, definitely kind of caught me off guard a little bit because Wisconsin doesn't normally act that way in the middle of a season with a coach. But uh, how much of a surprise was that to you, and uh, and and what are your thoughts on that? Honestly, man, on a one to ten scale, I was about a thirteen surprised. Yeah. Um, I, I was floored. Never ever thought Wisconsin was going to fire Paul Christ in the middle of the season, especially because their athletic director came out the week before. And said he, he's fine. There's there's no reason to to worry about his job at all. Uh, and you you just kind of wonder if like the the fact that a loss at home to Illinois, who again is playing better football, if that was just deemed as so embarrassing that they couldn't get over that. I've got a couple of notes here on on Paul Chris that I I just think are worth underscoring. You you referenced his record, sixty seven and twenty six in ninety three games. He went forty three and eighteen in the Big Ten, three Big Ten West Division titles. Three times he finished in the top 15 in the country. Two-time Big Ten Coach of the Year. He won two different New Year's Six Bowl games. What are you doing? Why did they fire him? I, I, 
I realize maybe the beginning of his tenure was a little bit better than what it's been of late, but come on. Like, to, to me, this underscores one of the dumbest things about college football, and I, I just can't get behind the December signing day because I think that that's becoming an excuse that certain schools will use, and I, I don't know if Wisconsin will use it or not, but it wouldn't surprise me if they do. It's the excuse that schools make when they fire coaches midseason and say, look, we got to get ahead of this for recruiting. Just move signing day back so that it doesn't happen in December. Move it back to February like, like you know, we traditionally have had to deal with, and, and, and you can avoid all of this stuff. I, I get it. I understand why they do it, the early enrollee process. I, I get it. I just think this continues to feed into one of the dumb things in college football. Wisconsin's got a great program. You saw Braylon Allen tweet this past, you know, uh, Sunday. He's like, nobody in this locker room wanted Paul Christ fired. Um, I, I just, I have a hard time wrapping my head around why they decided Paul Christ wasn't the right guy for the job. I'm not in the building in Wisconsin. So maybe there's something going on that I don't know about, but on the surface level, this was really, really, really dumb, and I just – I don't get it. Um, moving forward, I mean, I feel like I guess they have to give Jim Leonard this opportunity because if they don't give him the job, why would he stay? And, and then you're really screwed. Like, you have to know going into this situation, if you're going to fire Paul Christ and you've got a defensive coordinator who is – one of the hottest names in college coaching and who has consistently had one of the best defenses in the country during his time as the DC and who turned down an opportunity to coach with the Packers this past year, despite the fact he had seven players not returning on his defense, or or I should say seven starters that, that were gone. Like he's expressed a bunch of interest in staying at Wisconsin. If you don't give him this head coaching job, I'm sure the new head coach would love to keep him, but I don't know why Jim Leonard would want to stay in a situation like that. So to, to me, this, this feels like it better be Jim Leonard uh, as the hire. And if not, is it Lance Leopold? I mean, I, I, I understand the, um, you know, the ties with Wisconsin. He won six national championships at Wisconsin Whitewater at Division III. You know, he grew up around the program. It, there, there are so many reasons why Lance could be the right guy in Madison moving forward. But it's just it's weird to me that, Wisconsin and Nebraska are going to fight over Kansas's coach. That's a that's a weird world to live in in college football. Um, it is. But man, I, I just I, I really don't like it. I think it was stupid, and uh, I hope Wisconsin figures it out quickly. And I'll, I'll wrap with this: There's no way they did this without Barry Alvarez's blessing. With with the way he's still involved with that program, with the way he's still involved with the conference, there's no way that Wisconsin did this without Coach Alvarez signing off on it. And Again, I don't know the inner workings of what's going on in Madison, but I I really, really was surprised by this move. Yeah, but I think this to be is all about Jim Leonard. I mean, I think, you know, I think they were worried about losing him last year and almost did. I think they're really worried of losing him to a head coaching job somewhere this year uh, for sure. And I think this is maybe more of a matter of uh, kind of like the Buccaneers did this year with uh, Todd Bowles and, and Bruce Arians. It's like, we don't want to lose this guy to another team. You know, I, I think this is all, I think the interim tag on Jim Leonard is a, is a charade. I don't think there's going to be a serious coaching search. Uh, I I will be a hundred. I will be even more stunned uh, than Paul Chris getting fired if Jim Leonard's not the head coach at the end. I mean, to me, I think this is all about uh, the you know Wisconsin trying to find a way uh, to keep Jim Leonard you know on this you know on this program and now running this program for a long, long time. That's how much everybody loves Jim Leonard in Madison. It better work out that way because if it doesn't, I mean, what what happens if? What happens if Wisconsin over these final what seven games of the regular season? What if they go three and four? Yeah, well they can. Blame that I mean, how do they sell their fans on? No, this was the right thing to do, and Jim Leonard's the guy because he's still here. Like I, I, I agree with you. This, it it better be him. But what if they don't perform well when they give him this interim? T- like it just they're they're putting more pressure on themselves. If if you're gonna make this move, make it after the season's over. I I. I just don't get it. I'm right. 
Yep. Frankly, I'm kind of disappointed because Wisconsin doesn't fire coaches. They've got one of the more steady programs in the Big Ten. Um, and I was pretty disappointed. And I, I know there were a lot of people that were much closer to the program that were truly shocked by this. Um, uh, you know, and, and maybe even some of them you'd say outraged. Um, I just don't know what else a guy's got to do. I mean, he had a 72 winning percentage over 93 games. He, he was in the Big Ten championship game several times in a league, by the way, where you play one of the top two or three teams in college football. I, I it's a tough draw, but saying that Wisconsin couldn't get past Ohio State and win a Big Ten title feels like a really, really hard way to measure the success of a coach. Absolutely. I mean, Paul Christ's resume is substantially better than Jim Harbaugh's resume at Michigan, with the exception of Harbaugh finally beat Mich- or finally beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten championship. But his college football playoff appearance was nothing to brag about. And, and Harbaugh still got a job. So is it truly just that – he won the Big Ten, and and Paul Christ hasn't. I, I don't know. I don't get it, man. Doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, not at all. And uh, that's two coaches down in five weeks. And uh, I'll be curious to see uh, if, if any more fall between now and the end. It's uh, it's getting tough out there. I mean, like sometimes you know, some places ex- expectations just uh, just get too high, and uh, you know, you can't you you just can't. Uh, uh, I, but again, I still think this is all about Jim Leonard and keeping him around. So, Brendan, uh, thank you again for being a part of the show. We'll uh, catch up with you in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got a uh, you know, big game with Michigan State this weekend to pay attention to, and then Iowa and Penn State right after that. So uh, uh, I think we kind of get into the, to the meat of the Ohio State schedule a little bit, so it should be fun. So we'll, yeah. uh, we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks, Brendan. And uh, on a side note, we'll catch up with you probably on Friday at Progressive Field. So <laughs> we'll we'll, see, uh, we'll, we'll see do our double duty. But yeah. It's looking good. Yeah, we'll do our double duty and uh, do our baseball football overlap. Which, appreciate it, man. And uh, it's great talking to you. And we'll uh, we'll see you again real soon. You bet. Thanks, Tom. And here they come. And Indiana got to him. Sack. Indiana football is back. Catch the action this fall at Memorial Stadium as head coach Tom Allen leads the Hoosiers into battle against this year's homecoming opponent, the Michigan Wolverines, on October 8th. For more information or to purchase tickets, visit iuhoosiers.com. Support the Hoosiers in 2022. Go IU. 20, down to the 10, the 5, touchdown! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Big Ten Roundtable. It's hard to believe it's episode six already. We're uh, getting into the middle of October now and uh, certainly getting into the heart of the Big Ten season now and uh, very happy to bring in Brandon Brown from Wolverine Digest to talk about the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, Brandon, last time we talked, you guys had just gotten through the uh, sort of pillow soft non-conference part of your schedule. And uh, uh, since then, uh, victories over Maryland. Um, and Iowa, and uh, uh, certainly, uh, I guess, a little bit of surprise on my end, just from the closeness of the Maryland uh, score at home. But uh, you got to give credit to the Terrapins. I thought they really played well offensively that day. And then, of course, last Saturday, just uh, old-fashioned, you know, go to Iowa City and, and not take any risks or chances. And, uh, uh, you know, their record against top five teams there is pretty darn good. But uh, I thought Michigan played really, really well and very conservatively, but played well and Two wins, five and zero, oh, still number four in the country, and uh, and cruising right along. So appreciate you uh, here with us, and uh, and glad to glad to talk Michigan football with you. Yeah, absolutely, and I I I agree with you. I mean, the Maryland game, I think I had them. I think my prediction was like a thirty-five point win or something. I mean, I I know the spread was I think seventeen or eighteen, and I think I had it about doubled up. But I think Maryland's better than a, a lot of people thought. I mean, they've always kind of been like a team that. You expect to be a little bit better. I mean, Tagovailoa can certainly throw it around. They've got some athletes. They recruit pretty well there in the DMV. And, yeah, I think that's one that a lot of people just got wrong. I mean, it was a little closer than I think a lot of people expected. And uh, But I, I give – in that one, I give more credit to Maryland than I do, like, anything Michigan did wrong or didn't perform well or didn't have a good game plan. I think Maryland just played better than a lot of people expected. And then in Iowa – they're just not good on offense. I mean, Michigan, I think Jim Harbaugh took his foot off the gas way too early, and that game ended up being closer than it really needed to be. Kind of gave some late life to Iowa when really they were pretty much lifeless the whole first half, really through almost three quarters. Um, you know, Michigan had 18 first downs in the first half and only six in the second half. I mean, to me, that's like you're just trying to get out of there and get the win and go and go home when I think they could have won that game by quite a bit more. 
if they had kept their uh you know kept their foot on the gas a little bit but either way win is a win is a win five and oh two and oh in big 10 play and you know I don't want to say an easy one, but you know, we got Indiana coming up this weekend. That's another pretty big spread, but it is on the road and Indiana throws it a lot. And teams like that can, can, you know, they can catch lightning in a bottle. Sometimes you see it here and there. Uh, so, you know, Jim Harbaugh was, was really complimentary of the the quarterback there, Connor Bazelak and just how they, how they approach things. And so we'll, you know, we'll see what that looks like this weekend in Bloomington. Sure. Yeah, we'll get to that at the end of the of our chat because um, you know, Indiana just hasn't been able to play sixty minutes yet. But uh, uh, but they have their moments and they can be scary at times. But yeah, we'll get to them in just a bit. Uh, so um, let's talk about Michigan quarterback though. JJ McCarthy kind of won the won the won the job you know during the non conference part of the schedule, and it seems like uh, you know he's kind of doing uh, what's presented to him. You know, it uh, uh, not you know. Uh, not trying to force things down the field. I thought uh, Maryland especially uh, sat back and just, you know, tried to keep everything in front of him. Iowa just kind of plays that way by nature anyway. And it seems like he's uh, conservatively just trying to make all the right decisions without uh, playing with his hair on fire. And uh, uh, I know some of the Michigan fans would love to see 60 points a game, but uh, uh, he seems like he's doing what he needs to do to control the, control the ball and, and, and get the, get them up and down the field. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, my partner Chris and I have talked, we talked about it all year last year, all this talent at wide receiver, and you've got the running backs and the tight ends and a really good offensive line. Let's open this thing up a little bit. And we kind of assumed that maybe Cade McNamara just wasn't capable of doing that. And so instead, he did what he did last year, took care of the ball, moved the ball, first down, scoring drives. And you look up at the end of the year, and there's Michigan beating Ohio State you know, dragging Iowa in the Big Ten Championship, making it to the playoff. And they were no match for Georgia, but they got there. And so we saw this formula that looked like it worked. And then you fast forward to this year, and they're like, all right, it's JJ's job. He's immensely talented, better athlete, stronger arm. These receivers are a year older. The running backs are back. The O-line has maybe even improved from last year's group. It's it's time. Let's open it up. Let's see these Let's see these horses run. You got a garage full of Ferraris. Let's drive them around and see what they can do. And then it looks a lot like it looked under Cade McNamara, even though J.J. McCarthy is, he's a, like I just said, he's a better athlete. He's got a more live arm. He can make all the throws. But last week against Iowa, he's 18 of 24 for 155 yards and a touchdown. And that's a very Cade McNamara-like stat line. And that's not, I'm not knocking Cade. That's just what it looked like all last year. He threw, you know, they played 14 games last year and he threw 15 touchdown passes. I mean, like, you know, it was, it sounds like something from the 1950s, not, not 2022. So yeah, we're, we're still kind of wondering, but I mean, when you look up at Michigan's schedule, they're probably going to, they, they can probably win every game doing the exact same thing they did last year. And what we've seen so far this year. Uh, and then there's obviously that showdown in Columbus at the end of the year, that might be for, for all the marbles. So it's just one of these weird things. Like, <laughs> I can't be complaining about five and zero and just winning every game, right? But we're all wondering like what it could really, truly look like with JJ McCarthy if you really open it up and let him wing it around. But what you said is right. I mean, he's he's playing extremely efficient. He's actually leading the entire country in completion percentage at just under eighty percent. I mean, he's he's taking everything the defense is giving him. He's only thrown six touchdown passes, but he also hasn't thrown an interception, which is something that we saw Cade McNamara also not do all last year. So it's, I don't know. It's been this weird dynamic. We've talked about the same thing after every game and here they are five and zero, number four in the country. Just keep it rolling. And then so, yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird topic to discuss. Yeah. And plus with JJ, um, he seems like he's harnessing himself a little bit too. Like he knows uh, he would love to play with his hair on fire if he can, but he knows that that's not what's best. And it, it seems like, uh, that, that probably he wouldn't have uh, had the mental acuity last year and the experience last year to do that. Whereas this year, just being another year older, another year wiser, understanding the system more, it seems like he's able, he's better able this year to understand that that's, that it's okay to play this way and, and we still win convincingly. Yeah, there's no doubt. And it's popped up a couple times here and there. I mean, he's still a young quarterback. He's a sophomore. He's only started these you know, these five, he didn't start the first game, so he's only started four games this year. Uh, but he just got, a, obviously, a great test of what the Big Ten on the road is like at Kinnick. 
but it's popped up a little bit here and there. He's fumbled three or four times, but I think Michigan's recovered all of them. As I said, he hasn't thrown an interception, but there's been two or three that have been pretty close. One was actually caught, but it was, you know, out of bounds. And the other one hit a linebacker like right in the hands and he just dropped it. I think that was against UConn. So it's, it's popped up a little bit, but he's been good enough and clean enough and efficient enough and, like you said, mature enough and responsible enough to not make any of these big mistakes that maybe he would have made last year or, you know, maybe that he was making from time to time throughout fall camp. And that's why it wasn't a runaway to give him the starting job. I mean, when you saw the upside and what he could do when he got his first start and even when he came in for Cade in week one uh, off the bench, I mean, there, it was like, all right, like that's the guy. How could it even like, what's the debate? And then he does a couple thing. And you're like, oh, okay. There's that, that riskiness that we heard a little bit about, but I, I still think the risk is much, I'm sorry. The reward is much higher than the risk. And so he's the guy they're five and all. Oh, and I, I, I think, you know, if Michigan were to get in a shootout or find themselves behind on the scoreboard, he's got what it takes to switch, you know, flip the switch and go get a bunch of yards, a bunch of big plays, and a bunch of scores. So we'll, we'll see if it ever comes to that. But for now, like a sumo wrestler, man, they just lean on the other team and run the ball and you look up and they're up 20. I mean, they did it all last year and they're, they're kind of starting to do it again this year. Yeah, but exactly what I was going to get to next. Uh, Blake Corum obviously has been very good. The offensive line has been very good. It helps when you can take a running game on the road, especially. I thought, you know, obviously he was great against Maryland, but I thought, uh, you know, they were, their, their ability to kind of control the clock and run the ball, and kind of mix things up nicely at Iowa, too. Just sort of kept that Iowa offense off the field. And, uh, you know, especially the first half of that game, I thought just, you know, complete control just by pushing people around. Yeah, there's no doubt. The offensive line was very, very impressive. You could see a, a noticeable, you know, relocation of the line of scrimmage every time they ran the ball. And that's a good Iowa defense. I mean, on paper and just personnel-wise. I mean, earlier in the week, the Michigan coaches rattled off you know, several guys on Iowa's roster that they expect to be playing on Sunday. So they've got some talent there, and obviously their system has been in place for a million years, and they know what they're doing. And Michigan kind of handled them. And like I said, I think they kind of went into a shell and shut it down a little bit in the second half, or I think it, it probably could have looked like that the whole game. And you mentioned Blake Corum. You know, he's coming out with, you know, double-digit touchdowns already through five games and just, uh, you know, does it all, really. I mean, he he picked up the slack for a couple games when Donovan Edwards was injured and, now it looks like it's going to be a pretty heavy, healthy dose of Blake Corum week in and week out, even though Edwards is back. I mean, Edwards, uh, I'm sorry, Corum has shown that he can be that guy. He can carry it 30 times, 25 times, 24 times in a game and, and make it through the whole thing. And he can catch it. He's good in pass pro. I mean, he does a little bit of everything very well. So, yeah, that's that's what it's looked like. That's what it looked like last year with Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum. And now it looks like this year it's going to be Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards and now you've got a little bit of a sprinkling of J.J. McCarthy as a runner as well. Very capable. He just hasn't really done it yet. Probably hasn't needed to, but that's always there in the back pocket. He's you know he's a very fast kid, very athletic, and he can also throw on the run. So even if it looks like he's about to take off, you've still got to continue to defend down the field, and it just adds another element to the offense. They haven't really had to use it yet, but if they need to, like I said, I think they have the capability of flipping that switch. But it, it, you know, this is where we always come back to. It's it's you just wonder if like, all right, now we finally need it. We haven't really worked on it in any games up to this point. Is it going to work? And is it going to, is it going to work out for us? And that that's, that's what we'll see if that ever, if that ever comes to fruition. So um, again, it's like, you can't use the word worry when they're five and oh, and winning pretty, con pretty convincingly, but it's, it's always there in the back of your mind a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and we've been Brandon, we talked the very first uh, week here. It's like, you know, every there are going to be barometers along the way, but it still all comes down to, uh, you know, the last weekend in November. And, you know, and and uh, so you we sort of just kind of keep looking uh, at Michigan and looking at Ohio State and wondering if anybody else is, uh, you know, going to going to going to make make us sweat beyond that game. And it seems like like how, for how good you felt about Michigan heading into the season you probably still feel just as good, if not better now, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's, I mean, we, the reason is because we saw it work to perfection last year. The, the different, the big difference this year is that it's going to be in Columbus and not Ann Arbor, but a, a lot of the same things that were there 
last year are, are there again this year. And Jim Harbaugh is, I, I would just, you know, I've heard that he's convinced that approach and that formula will work. I, I don't think Michigan can keep up with Ohio state and attract me, but they might not need to, they didn't need to last year. And, you know, it worked out in a, in a major way for the Wolverines and a convincing, you know, 15 point pretty much dominating win. I mean, you, you know, you get a starting running back in, in that case, Hassan Haskins to score five touchdowns on the ground. That's, that's about as dominant as you can be in the running game and pretty, uh, pretty demoralizing for that, you know, that defensive front uh, on the other sideline. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they've done nothing to this point to make me think like, you know, what they did last year, what, you know, the success they had, offense, defense, all of it's kind of clicking right now. They've done nothing to make me think that it won't work again this year. But, you know, Ohio State is also a year older. Their phenomenal receivers are a year better. C.J. Stroud is still going to be what he is, and, and it's it's in Columbus. So, that I mean, it's that's huge. Uh, but right now that looks like, you know, it could be another – I mean, just another fantastic matchup between two teams that are kind of on this on this collision course. Don't want to get too ahead of myself. They got to go to Bloomington. Exactly. Got Penn State next week. That's a big one. But yeah, I mean, you can't not think about the game and, and that rematch of what it could potentially mean in November. Yeah. Do you uh, are you do you have more concern with uh, Michigan Penn State next week than you would have prior to the season or no? I think it's about the same. I mean, you know, Penn State is the the one other team in the Big Ten that recruits kind of at that level of Ohio State or Michigan. I mean, Ohio State's kind of been on another tier, but Michigan, Penn State, they get they they recruit a lot of the same kids. They 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 kind of battle back and forth a little bit, and it's the same caliber of guys. I mean, they're you know they they recruit as good as anybody else, um, you know, in the country. Not named maybe Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. I mean, that's you know that's kind of the the separate tier, and then Michigan, Penn State are kind of in that next wave. So. They've got talent. I've never been a big James Franklin guy, but he's, I mean, he's there. He wins big games. He's got some experience under his belt in winning big games and beating good teams. I've never been much of a Sean Clifford guy, but he also, same thing. He's like the same as his coach. He wins big games. He gets the job done. He'll throw it when he needs to throw it. He's a threat running the ball. He's been there forever. And they've got a couple young players that are making big plays for them. I know the Singleton kid, the running back is pretty special, but yeah, I mean, it feels about like I thought. I mean, you know, Michigan went into Happy Valley last year and got a really tough win. So I would think coming in, all right, it's at home this year. Michigan probably wins that one, but that's that's a team capable of beating them. There's no question. So they got to be sharp and they got to get it done. And I still feel about the same. I, I think, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an Auburn expert or anything, but I was I was really impressed with beating Auburn 41 to 12 on their field by Penn State. I mean, that's that's still an SEC team down on their on their turf. Uh, you know, in the heart of SEC country and you know, Penn State went down there and put it to them. And I think, you know, for any school or any team to be able to do that is, is uh, something to hang your hat on a little bit. Yep, I think uh, people have kind of forgotten about Penn State's first win, too, at Purdue. I still think. Uh, yeah, Purdue is no slouch. Yeah, they haven't given them enough credit for that one either. Uh, obviously, Purdue didn't help their own case with that, but then they look great in Minnesota, so it's mm -hmm. good for them. All right, let's uh, wrap it up. Uh, the big news of the week in the Big Ten last week was uh, uh, Wisconsin uh, moving on from Paul Crest after a 2-3 and three start, uh, lost at home to Washington State, gave up 52 at Ohio State, and then, Brett Bielema rolls right back into Madison, and Illinois just crushed them over the weekend, embarrassed them. And then, boom, just like that, Paul Christ, who's 67-26 and 26 at Wisconsin and 43-15 and 15 in the Big Ten, won three Big Ten West titles, played in Big Ten championship games, won major bowl games, and he's gone in the middle of the season just like that. And uh, Jim Leonard takes over uh, – what was your surprise level when you heard that news, and uh, and and what do you think about the whole move in, in general? Yeah, it's pretty high. I mean, you, the records you just rattled off. I mean, but you, you, I noticed one thing you left out. There, there were no Big Ten titles in there. A couple shots at it. I know everybody knows the you know the East has dominated the West, so obviously they don't have any. Um, but yeah, I mean the the overall record, the conference record, the appearances in the Big Ten title game, like you said, the bowl wins. And he's just like Wisconsin through and through. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that, that's a, that's a bold move. I think, you know, maybe, maybe it's a, I feel like Jim Leonard is probably who, you know, the Wisconsin boosters, the athletic department, the fans would love to have said like Jim Leonard's our guy. 
he's on staff, he's the DC, and he's going to be the head coach for us someday. Like that's probably what they would have loved to see. But he's good and he's young, and there's a pretty good chance that another team might have tried to scoop him up or steal him away or give him a big raise or give him a crack at a head coaching job. And so maybe this timeline was just sped up a lot by the three three bad losses and the and the beatdown by Illinois by the former Wisconsin. I mean, it just kind of you know a little poetic there, you know. But I don't know, man. I mean, he 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 did just about everything you would want a head coach to do, except for win a conference championship. But yeah, that that's that's surprising. Right now, at this point in the season, I mean, I you know I don't know. But Jim Leonard has been a hot name in the coaching industry for quite a while makes a lot of sense that he would become the head coach and maybe their plan all along was for him to eventually be that, but like, Oh, well we'll just speed it up and do it right now. So we can hang on to him and he's our guy and we've got some continuity still and we can continue to do things the way we've been doing them. But yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big shock. I can't remember if we were like traveling or I just kind of saw it come. I'm like, what? Like, is that real? Paul Christ is fired. I know it's been a little rough and they haven't been the same Wisconsin for maybe a season or, or two, but. Yeah, that's pretty surprising. I'd put that up there on maybe like an eight, eight and a half on the one, one through ten scale for me. Well, I think the uh, tide uh, switched on Saturday when they couldn't even run for double digit total yards. And, yeah, uh, that is not Wisconsin football, and uh, uh, and I think that uh, was sort of the uh, uh, the the final straw there. That uh, uh, you know that their offensive line is not nearly as good as it used to be. They can't run the ball anymore. They've put faith in a handful of people that uh, just aren't getting it done and. Uh, and he has to pay for it, which is kind of surprising. That's two coaches down, and uh, here we are the first week in October. We got uh, two coaches fired already in the Big Ten. So it's uh, uh, Scott Frost did not surprise me, but this one certainly did. So, Brandon, thanks uh, so much for being a part of the, of the show this week. Appreciate it, and uh, enjoy Bloomington this weekend, uh, Michigan, Indiana, and then uh, Michigan-Penn State next week. So we'll, uh, next time we have you on two weeks from now, we'll, uh, we'll break down that Michigan-Penn State game, I'm assuming – uh, that should be a good one. So we'll, uh, we'll look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks, Brendan, and thanks for being part of the show. Thanks a lot, Tom. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's hear a word from some of our sponsors here on the Big Ten Roundtable, and then when we come back, uh, we'll talk to DJ Fezzer from Boilermakers Country about Purdue's uh, big win over Minnesota on Saturday, a huge road win for the Boilermakers, and kind of puts them in a bit of the driver's seat in the Big Ten West right now. So we'll do all that right after a word from some of our sponsors. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Newcomb family. My name is Jim Poole. I'm the president and CEO of Solace Life Sciences, the neuroscience company that makes Newcomb. And what is it? It's simply a technology that when you're feeling stressed or you're not sleeping well, whatever it is that life brings you, Newcomb is a tool that predictably, safely, and reliably is going to take good care of you. Find a comfortable place. Put the disc on, eye mask, choose your track. You're going to lie down. What's going to happen? Your mind's going to wander. But here's how you'll know Newcomb's working. You begin to feel your body separate from your mind. Your mind's going to wander and your body's going to feel heavy and your respiration's going to slow down. And you're going to go somewhere, somewhere where your mind just wanders and your body heals. And then at some point, you just kind of come to. Simply take off the eye mask, stop the track, take the disc off, and off you go. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Big Grin 10 Roundtable, episode six here for our final segment. And, uh, you know, there was uh, you know, a lot of good football last weekend, but uh, uh, the one game that probably surprised me the most was uh, was Purdue, a nine-point underdog, going up uh, to Minnesota and uh, pulling off on a 20-10 to 10 upset there. And I uh, want to bring in DJ Fessler from Boilermakers Country to talk about that. DJ, how are you, man? Good, Tom. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's, uh, you know, it was a game going into it, you know, having watched both of those teams the first four weeks of the season, you know, Minnesota looked so good and was playing uh, very physical football and very mistake-free football on both sides of the ball uh, through the first four weeks. And, you know, in Purdue, partly, you know, because of injuries and such, it, it kind of struggled a bit, you know, to a two and two start. And, 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 and you know, I, and I just really was concerned that, Purdue just sort of couldn't handle their physicality up there, but they went up there and played great and battled them to, you know, and forced a ton of turnovers and then got some points in the fourth quarter. It turned out to be just a, a huge win for the Boilermakers. Yeah, absolutely. You already mentioned it already. Those injuries were a concern kind of heading into the game. Uh, the week prior against Florida Atlantic, Purdue had six starters out due to injury. Uh, Aiden O'Connell starting quarterback was a game time decision heading into that matchup against Minnesota. Uh, but he was able to suit up. He may uh, may not have been a hundred percent entirely, but uh, 
He was able to suit up, kind of boost the morale of the team. Didn't play particularly well, but the Purdue offense was able to lean on uh, their running game, have a little more balance offensively, and the turnovers they were able, able to force on defense, as you already mentioned, were definitely huge in that victory. Yeah, and there's no question, too, that part of that running game that made a difference is guys – you know, step in, stepping up, you know, for injuries too, you know, and, uh, you know, guys that maybe not everybody around the country would have heard of before had uh, had some big games and especially had some big runs uh, when it really mattered. Yeah, Devin Mockaby, redshirt freshman, he's a walk-on on the team. He doesn't even have a scholarship. He's uh, kind of been thrust into the spotlight a little bit more alongside another walk-on in Dylan Downing uh, because starting running back King DeRue's missed the last couple of weeks due to an injury as well. Uh, those two had back-to-back games with 100 yards, Dylan Downing at 100 yards against uh, Florida Atlantic. Devin Mockaby broke a 68-yard run there in the fourth quarter, scored a touchdown right after against Minnesota to kind of put that game away. He goes over 100 yards in that game. They've been they've been running the ball very well, something that just isn't typical of a, of a Jeff Brom-Purdue offense here uh, in the last couple seasons. So um, it's good for them to kind of have some of that balance, especially if Aiden O'Connell is still kind of returning to form uh, but just having that balance, that threat to be able to run the ball is definitely allowing them to kind of compete schematically with some of these different teams here throughout the year. Yeah, and then last question on the offensive side of the ball. Where where do we stand with O'Connell now? How is his health uh, heading into this week, and, uh, and where do we stand with uh, his availability and just his ability to play at a high level going forward? Yeah, on Monday, we uh, got to, got the chance to talk to Jeff Brom for his weekly press conference. I asked about Aiden O'Connell. Uh, he said he was uh, fine coming out of the Minnesota game, nothing other than just your usual soreness, bumps and bruises from a uh, Big Ten football game. So uh, heading into this week of practice, they're going to kind of ease him in a little more. He didn't practice last week all too much until Thursday before the game. Um, so they're, he's just going to kind of continue to do what he can do what he feels comfortable with. Uh, but it sounds like to me, he should be good to go. Uh, obviously going to continue improving, uh, on his health from last week. Um, hopefully they'll continue to get him better. It's just going to be, a uh, it's just going to be about managing his practice reps, keeping himself uh, safe, keeping him healthy, all that sorts of stuff so that they can go into this next week on the road, uh, relatively healthy with him under center. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, having beaten Minnesota now, uh, everybody in the Big Ten West has at least one conference loss already. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, two. Uh, we just finished talking with uh, Brendan Gulick and Brandon Brown both about uh, the Paul Chris firing and such. So, I mean, the Big Ten West is sort of wide open. But then as soon as you say that, you know, here comes uh, a Purdue team that has uh, – has sort of tripped over itself in the past when they've uh, had big wins and uh, haven't been able to put multiple wins together. And this Maryland team they're playing this weekend has really looked good so far. I, uh, they're four and one, but even the loss, you know, at Michigan, you know, they played the Wolverines toe to toe. And uh, I watched that game from start to finish and I've really been impressed uh, with their offense and Purdue's, Purdue's defense has been good. Uh, I thought they were really good against uh, Minnesota, especially in, in, in creating turnovers. But uh, I think you know, if I'm, yeah, I think this Maryland offense is probably going to be their biggest test of the year so far. Uh, you know, because they've just got an enormous amount of speed on the outside, and they can run the ball too, and they've got a quality quarterback. And uh, I think it's probably Purdue's biggest test defensively so far. Do you agree with me on that? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Heading into the game against Michigan, uh, just by the pure numbers that, or not Michigan, Minnesota, excuse me, uh, just heading into that game against Minnesota, by the pure numbers, that probably was their biggest test offensively. But uh, the Golden Gophers not having star running back uh, Muhammad Ibrahim in the lineup definitely hurt them. Uh, if you told me going into that game that Purdue was going to hold the Big Ten's top rushing attack to only 47 yards on the ground, I would have called you crazy. Um, so definitely in terms of the pass game, uh, what Maryland's able to do offensively, just all over the field, they don't have one star receiver. That's kind of stealing the show. They have four guys, uh, that are over 200 yards receiving a lot of different guys getting in the end zone of the passing game. Uh, their quarterback has been unbelievable completing on like 75% of his passes. So there's a lot of different elements to that Terrapins offense that Purdue is going to have to account for. And as you mentioned, I do definitely agree that that this is going to be their biggest test of the season so far. Yeah, and uh, certainly, um, I think you know, getting that win with at Minnesota though, uh, 
I think the Big Ten West race is wide open. I thought Purdue had a pretty good chance uh, of, of possibly winning this division, you know, in the preseason. And, uh, you know, I didn't really, you know, I didn't take too much negative out of that loss at home to Penn State. You know, they certainly played well, had their chances to win that game. But, you know, I, I feel like someone might win the Big Ten West with maybe two or, th- or even three conference losses. You know, it's, it's kind of wide open. So it's, uh, um, you know, and I think, you know, I think what Purdue learned, we learned a lot from Purdue this weekend was, was that the defense really can step up in big games. And I think that down the stretch, that's going to be the key, I would think, to this team is that if the defense plays well, they're going to have a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of different players stepped up, especially in that Minnesota game. Uh, you know, safety game Allen was, uh, was named the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. He had two huge interceptions against Minnesota, one at the end of the first half that uh, prevented the Gophers from tying the game. Purdue ends up going to the locker room with a lead at halftime. Uh, and then, you know, you fast forward to the end of that game, you know, they were able to put together a couple more scores in the second half, go up 20 to 10, and Cam Allen's there to uh, seal the game for them, intercept Tanner Morgan, uh, and allow Purdue to kind of run out the clock. I, I just feel like when Purdue was able to get even a little bit of a lead, it was a small lead. It wasn't, uh, you know, super huge there in the beginning, but they played with that lead. They forced Minnesota to uh, get into a position where maybe they were a little bit uncomfortable offensively. Tanner Morgan um, was uncomfortable throughout the game, forced him into three interceptions. Uh, So as you've already mentioned, I just think when they're, when their defense is uh, firing at all cylinders, executing the game plan and forcing opposing quarterbacks into uncomfortable spots, uh, that's when they have the best success um, especially when maybe their offense isn't hitting uh, on all cylinders like it could be. Yep, absolutely. And especially uh, Tanner Morgan, been there a long time, uh, uh, started a whole bunch of games. Him. I think it was the first time he'd thrown three interceptions in a game, if I remember, if I, if I remember that stat right. But, uh, you know, it takes a lot to, uh, to rattle a veteran guy, and Purdue's defense did that. So it, uh, great win for the Boilermakers, for certainly, and uh, certainly a lot to look forward to this weekend with the game at Maryland. So, DJ, thanks for being a part of the Big Ten Roundtable, and we'll chat with you real soon. All right, when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll uh, wrap up uh, the show with uh, taking a look at week six, and uh, we'll run down the full schedule for you, give you game times, TV information, and a uh, few nuggets that will be uh, worthwhile taking in your pocket. So we'll be back right after a word from our sponsors, and we'll break down week six. And here they come. Catch the action this fall at Memorial Stadium as head coach Tom Allen leads the Hoosiers into battle against this year's homecoming opponent, the Michigan Wolverines, on October 8th. For more information or to purchase tickets, visit iuhoosiers.com. Support the Hoosiers in 2022. Go, IU. 20, down to the 10, the 5, touchdown! All right, everybody, Tom Brew, welcome back as we wrap up uh, Hoosier Roundtable Week 6. I uh, really appreciate all our guests uh, and love what we can do on this Hoosier Roundtable, being able to tour around the conference and get the, get the good backstories on everything that's going on around the league. It's been great. So appreciate all those guys uh, being a part of the show. And uh, all right, so let's get you ready for week six here. There's a lot going on, including a Friday night game this week. Uh, Nebraska and Rutgers playing on Fox Sports 1 at 7 o'clock Eastern time on Friday night, uh, getting a nice little national spotlight on those two teams. Cornhuskers two and three after beating Indiana last week. Rutgers three and two after losing to Ohio State. The uh, my, the primary Fox game on noon at noon on Saturday is number four Michigan traveling to Bloomington and take on Indiana. Last time the uh, Wolverines were there was two years ago when Indiana knocked them off in the 2020 season where the Hoosiers went six and one. Lots changed since then. Michigan back on track, a playoff team a year ago, five and zero oh this year, three and two for Indiana. Uh, it's the big noon game, the big game on Fox at noon. Also at noon, a really good matchup on the Big Ten Network. It's Purdue travels to Maryland. Boilermakers are three and two. Had a huge road win at Minnesota last week, taking on the Maryland Terrapins, who are four and one and had a great win against Michigan State a week ago. Wisconsin, Jim Leonard, first game as the head coach at uh, Wisconsin, uh, travels to Evanston to take on the Northwestern Wildcats. Badgers just two and three so far, and Paul Chris fired, uh, take on Fitzgerald, Pat Fitzgerald's team, one and four so far. Been very disappointing. Uh, season so far in East Lansing as well. The uh, primary game at, uh, um, at I'm, I'm sorry, at 3.30 start for Wisconsin Northwestern. Uh, at 4 o'clock on ABC, number three ranked Ohio State takes on Michigan State. 
Buckeyes five and zero, looking really good so far. Michigan State two and three, really struggling and uh, just can't stop the pass at all. And then uh, you know, three straight losses in a row now for the Spartans, which zero and two in the Big Ten. Thought better of them, but uh, losses so far uh, uh, in the Big Ten to Minnesota and Maryland, which was a bit of a surprise. And of course, that loss to Washington prior to that in the non-conference. And then the night game, uh, Saturday night, seven thirty game, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Three and two, take on the fighting Illini of Illinois. Brett Bielema had to feel really good going back to Madison and getting the win last week. The fighting Illini, four and one on the season, one and one in the Big Ten that only lost to Indiana back in week one, uh, last second drive. So it should be a good Saturday night primetime game as well. And that's our schedule for week six. We come back next week. We'll break all of that down for you. Enjoy more of that. We'll have more special guests next week as well. And enjoy another Hoosier Roundtable. So thanks for being a part of the show this week. Appreciate you being on. This is Tom Brew, your host for the Big Ten Roundtable. Thanks again, and we will see you all next week. The Big Ten Roundtable is a production of Hilltop 30 Publishing Group. For content information, please contact Tom Brew via email at tombrew at hilltop30.com. For advertising and sponsorship rates, contact Director of Marketing Becky Riggle at beckyriggle.com at Hilltop30.com. Special thanks to video director Haley Jordan and production coordinator Stacy Fisher. Thanks for enjoying the show. This is your announcer, Chuck Crabb, and we'll see you next week on the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network.